I'm Zach Harper with Cinefo, The Athletic, SiriusXM NBA, SiriusXM Mad Dog Sports Radio, and Count the Dings. And you're listening to the Fan Levitard Show. to another episode of the Fan Lebitard Show. Remember to like, follow, rate, and review this podcast. Also, follow the show on Twitter at Lebitard underscore fan. On today's episode, we chat with a broadcasting legend in the state of Virginia, Bill Roth, the voice of Virginia Tech Athletics for more than 20 years. We touched on a lot of interesting topics surrounding college athletics, namely the NIL rules and conference realignment that we're seeing all across the country. I think it's a really interesting interview, and I hope you guys agree. So with that being said, let's get into it. Welcome in to another episode of the Fan Levitard Show. Ty Hodges here, very excited to introduce our guest this week. He is a professor of practice at Virginia Tech's School of Communication. He is a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer and a broadcaster for ESPN and Westwood One. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Roth joining us today. Bill, how you doing, man? You good? I'm good, Ty. You good? I'm good. So, folks, just to set the stage here, we are talking to a college athletics lifer. Like, running down Bill's resume is incredible. Uh, to put it in perspective, Bill, is it true that you have worked or broadcasted at least one bowl game every year going back to the 1993 Independence Bowl? Yeah, that's accurate. That's that's true. The uh, 1993 game in Shreveport, Indiana, Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana, Virginia Tech beat Indiana at uh, Shreveport Stadium there. I forget the name of the stadium. Independence Stadium, perhaps, is the name of it. And that was Frank Beamer's first bowl win. And that was a long time ago, mid-90s. Like I laid out, this man has seen some stuff. And that's where I want to start. In that entire time that you've been working and broadcasting around college athletics, some amazing moments You've had to have seen some of those. Like, what are some of the ones that really stick out to you in your time doing this that you're like, wow, I can't believe I saw that or I got to call that? Well, first of all, I've just been so lucky that since I graduated college, I didn't have to have a job. I still haven't (laughs) worked yet. And so that's been great. And for someone who loves college football and who loves broadcasting, it's been a really exciting career. There have been so many games, I think, overall, just to watch the Ascension a Virginia Tech's program from where it was to, to where it got to uh, from 1988 when I first came to Blacksburg, Virginia as a, as a 22-year-old to when I left when I was 50. Uh, the, the, the ascension, the relationships with so many amazing people uh, over the years who to this day remain my best friends, some of my mentors. So uh, there, there's so much to talk about. But in terms of individual games, we could probably run down a top 20 and and leave some key moments out. There've been, there, there were just so many great players, some NFL stars, some NFL, some of the most incredible collegiate and NFL players uh, played at Lane or played against Virginia Tech. So there's a lot to get to. There's a lot, lot of great players. 
If I had to pin you down on like a, a top three moments that really stand out, just off the top of your head, doesn't necessarily have to be in order, but just like a top three okay. that pop out. Well, I would say 1995 when Virginia Tech beat UVA, the Hokies needed to win the game to go to the Sugar Bowl, and they trailed in the fourth quarter against a very good Virginia team, and they rallied for three touchdowns in the final five minutes of the game to win in Charlottesville. The Virginia Tech fans stormed the field on the road. That's the only <laughs> time I've seen that. It looked like the home team had won the game, if you see the video. But there were so many Virginia Tech fans, they stormed Scott Stadium field. That would be one. Uh, Virginia Tech beating Nebraska uh, at the very end of a game at Lane Stadium when both teams were ranked. Uh, that one stands out. Uh, Virginia Tech beating Miami for the first time in 1995 and then uh, later at the Orange Bowl doing it again uh, in 98. A very good Miami team. The game went to overtime. Uh, and I love doing games at the Orange Bowl. So that was a big win. So those would be three. Those would be th- those are three good ones too. And and for the audience, I was actually at that Nebraska game as a student at the time, and we ended up on the field in that one. That game was so strange because am I wrong? My perception of it may be skewed because I was in the I was in the stands in the lower bowl watching at the time from one of the end zones. From my perspective, that game was incredibly boring until the very end. <laughs> yeah, I so so to put it in perspective, the year before Virginia Tech played at Lincoln and it was a very good Nebraska team with a great defense. And and Tech's offensive coordinator Brian Steinspring said, we're going to line up and run the ball against them. That's our game plan. We have Darren Evans. Uh, we're going to pound the ball. And this was against like, Indomitian Sue's Nebraska at the time. He right. was anchoring and that I'm defensive like, line. And I remember making the drive over from Omaha to Lincoln. Like, there's no way we're going to run the ball. Sure enough, they pounded them and pounded them and pounded them. And Tech won at Lincoln. So the following year, the rematch, it was kind of they tried to do the same thing. <laughs> uh and Nebraska's defense was great, but so was Tech's defense. You know, the, the Hokies did – Nebraska just got a bunch of field goals in the game, five of them. And so Virginia Tech was able to win the game 16-15. to 15. Nebraska did score five times, but Tech's defense was so good. But, yeah, if you like defense, it was a good game, Ty. If you, <laughs> you enjoy lots of punts and field position, it was a great game. Listen, if you were a fan of Virginia Tech football growing up like I was, you had to become, um, let's just say, you had to develop a fondness for special teams and punting that I, my, my guess is most other fan bases have not had to do. <laughs> because, you know, that was a bit of a priority there, Beamer Ball and all of that. It was, you know, and early when Frank first came to Tech, it's interesting because now Shane Beamer, his son, is at South Carolina, and they're going to try to do the same thing. Uh, you're a little bit undermanned. You don't quite have the depth that you will eventually have. And that's and, and so Frank said, yeah, I, I can't line up for 60 minutes and beat West Virginia. They got better players and they got better depth. However, however, if I block a punt or make a special teams play or two during the course of the game, then I got a shot. And and that's what happened. If you look at if you look at Virginia Tech's blocked kicks in the late 80s and 90s, they won a lot of games probably that they shouldn't have because of that. And not that special teams isn't a a key part of a game, but I think they beat some teams that had some better players because if 
you know, it's a fact. If you look at the analytics of it, if you block a block a kick and score, or if you have a pick six in a game, you ordinarily win that game. Not only does it change the momentum, there's a psychological thing that happens to the team that gives up the touchdown, but but it, it sparks your team. We can win. We can win this thing. You may not have a single first down, but you just scored. For the audience, if you haven't picked up already, uh, Bill was the voice of the Hokies for a long time. I don't have the exact years on me, but it was a while. And 27, 27 years. 27 years. Wow. Am I allowed to say that that's almost as long as I've been alive? Sure. It's Does longer it make me an than, asshole? Uh, than any of my... No, <laughs> you know, none of our students at Virginia Tech were alive when Michael Vick played. Oh, my so, God. That always gets me a little bit. They, they, they think, you know, Marcus Vick, Hunter Carpenter, Bruce Smith, they don't know the difference. They're just guys that played before they were born. Wow. That, that one got me right there. Yeah, it um, does. But what I was getting at is that, you know, as the voice of a college program, rivalries are such a big part of the college football experience. And I understand polished professional broadcaster. Surely you would not um, ever have any biases when calling a game or anything like that. I'm not not daring to suggest that. But I'm right. curious in your time doing that, if there were some teams or fan bases that, uh, you know, you kind of soaked up a little bit of those rivalry juices. Clearly, there's times that you get really excited during the course of a game. But once you're in the press box, kind of the professionalism kicks in and... You, you lose the fanboy card and you become a member of the media. And, and whether you win or lose, you can be happy or, or, or disappointed, but you're broadcast because you want to create an accurate picture for the fan of, of what happened. And so if you win the game late or you lose the game late, the guy and the woman, the person listening at home needs to understand what happened. That's your responsibility. So that was the answer I expected you to say. I'm going to counter with... Okay, but when you step foot out of the press box, did any of those rivalries bleed over? Well, maybe back when I was younger, yes. But to be honest, we need the rivalry so fans buy tickets. <laughs> During the offseason, the coaches are playing golf with each other. Yeah, that's, that's just to, to help you buy tickets. I don't, I, even Auburn and Alabama, you know, it's, it's as fierce as that rivalry is. You know, Tommy Tuberville won and got elected as a senator in that state by having a lot of Alabama people vote for him. So, um, no, I, I never looked at it that way. Some of my best friends are UVA people, and that it's always been that way. I, I ask that because I am married I know to you're a disappointed. grad, so yeah. I, know I, you're I understand disappointed. how that goes. Yeah, yeah I know you're disappointed. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because... No, it's actually a great question, Ty. We, so during the course of this past semester, I had the voice of the Chicago Bulls speak to a class. And, and one of my students said, do you get more? He was from Detroit. One of our students is, it lives in or was born in Detroit. said, do you get fired up to do the Pistons games because it's a great rivalry? And there's, is there a little extra juice in your call? And he said, the great folly is that there's NBA rivalries. He said, the players have the same agents. They're in business together. They own apartment complexes and shopping malls together. It's entertainment. It's 100% entertainment. And there is no rivalry. That's just to sell the tickets. It's different on the college level, for sure. I think there is some legitimate hate between the players. 
on the, on the teams. But I don't think that extends to the radio booth or the TV booth. So that's interesting, though. So, so in professional sports, you're saying that a lot of the rivalries and stuff like that, that's all marketing. That's all ginned up to get people to buy tickets. It's basically professional wrestling at that point. No, I think it's entertainment. I think it, it may be a little bit different in the playoffs, but I don't think that, I mean, you see it all the time. Guys get traded and they're pitching against their former teammates the next day. Um, I, I, I mean, clearly there are rivalries, but I don't, I don't think, to be quite honest, I don't think the guys in the Los Angeles Dodgers dugout hate the New York, the, the San Francisco Giants guys. It, it, they're professional athletes. So, um, but it helps television ratings and it helps ticket sales if everyone thinks it's this bitter rivalry. Do you like that aspect? I'm curious because, you know, it's it's very matter of fact business like. Um, but I could definitely see an argument for why that would be kind of disappointing for a fan to hear. Like you as a as a fan of a team, you want your players to care about hating your opponents yeah. as much as they do. Yeah, it might be, but your you know, your job your job as a pro athlete is to to, to win the game and you gotta focus on that, not get emotional about um, you hate the guy on the other side. Um, I mean, I, I do think there are rivalries for sure, but, you know, guys get traded and guys have the same agent and it's important that it's a business and there's a lot, there's millions of on the pro level on the college level. I think it's a lot different. I, I do think that there's some genuine hate on the college side. Well, that is actually a great transition because I want to talk to you about the landscape of college sports. There's a lot of money being thrown around in the pros, but all of a sudden there's a little bit of cash being thrown around in the, uh, in the collegiate ranks as well. And like we had said before, you are very storied in your time around college athletics. You have seen a fair bit of shakeups, conference realignments, the addition of one and done a bunch of things. What we're seeing right now with the proliferation of name image and likeness this has to be the biggest shakeup that you've ever seen in college sports right yeah you're right and it's continuing the the role of the ncaa may moving forward i don't know this to be true because they haven't really done their new constitution yet which they're planning to do this fall and winter but the role of the ncaa might simply be just to provide a rule book the basketball court is 94 feet long and the basketball goal is 10 feet high and you foul out after five. The rule book, eligibility and enforcement, those things may go to the conferences. And it's probably time for that to happen because, Ty, you know, at the moment, University of Texas is following the same rules as Elon. And one school has a $200 million budget and the other one might have a $15 million budget, if that. You know, and, and you can make and that, and that does that. No, that doesn't mean, you know, several years ago, Radford beat Texas in basketball. It has nothing to do with what can happen in one game. But in terms of legislation, can players get additional benefits beyond room, board, tuition, books and fees, which has always been the NCAA model? Uh, clearly, what, what has has happened over the last three months starting with the Supreme Court ruling, is that that's not enough. And that, that there is, in essence, price fixing been going on that, what, that guys and young women could not profit from their name, image, and likeness. Like everyone listening to this podcast can. 
And that's not the American way, and, and the NCAA lost in court. So it sounds to me like you're generally in favor of the NIL. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and first of all, I understand that most college athletes are not on a full scholarship. You know, football, men's and women's basketball players are. But let's let's put this in perspective. Let's say let's say that uh, you're a baseball player and you're a baseball player at Miami or Notre Dame where the tuition is $80,000 a year. So the coach at that school has 11.7 scholarships to give 30 players. So maybe his best pitcher is getting a half scholarship. But ordinarily you're getting maybe books or you're getting a tenth of a scholarship or a quarter. But let's just say you're a really good player and you get half. Your family still has to come up with the rest of your tuition. So if you're paying $40,000 to be a pitcher at Miami, or your family is paying $40,000 and you are a scholarship athlete, why can't you do something to help offset that? And Or if you're a volleyball player or a softball player and 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 – as we've seen now, less than half the NIL deals are for football, men's basketball. It's a lot of the Olympic sports and a lot of the women's. I think what the the, the, the biggest, the first two young ladies in the Pac-12 are volleyball players that, that got deals. So yeah, I, I'm I'm in favor of it. I think it's 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 good. It's it's not going to change the balance of power. I think that a lot of people have cried that. I don't think Alabama all of a sudden is going to get better. They're already getting the best players. So. Yeah, I'm, in terms of the NIL, I'm in favor of it. And even if I wasn't, it's happening. So, um, <laughs> so I think we, we have to adjust in that regard. But, but, but always, keep in mind that most college scholarship players, most college scholarship athletes are still paying tuition. So in that same vein, one of the other shakeups that's happening kind of simultaneously with the NIL is another series of conference realignments. The SEC mm. going ahead and poaching Oklahoma and Texas. And now there's a lot of rumors swirling that the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are going to form some sort of alliance, whatever that means. Um, so put on your prognosticator hat for me, Bill. What is, come the year like 2025, when all of this, I guess, is slated to, to go down, what is this landscape going to look like? If I say I don't know, is that a cop-out or an honest answer? It, it can be both. I think it is. It's, it's, it's an honest answer because I don't think anyone knows. And so for anyone on any show to claim this is what it's going to look like, I don't know. What we do know is that the SEC is going to make an awful lot of money. And we do know that they're going to have a dominant presence on ESPN, which has got the television rights away from CBS for that conference. So ESPN and, and by the ABC, Disney is going to load up on games and they can have three or four mega games every Saturday when it comes to football. And they can have great college basketball games too. It's gonna to be a great basketball league. And I think this alliance, it, it's not the three leagues are going to form one league they're already playing each other. I think it's more as a voting block. For example, they can they can tap the brakes on the college football playoff. It was going too fast. They can they can make it so that in a voting situation, ESPN and ABC don't get exclusive rights to the playoff, and another league, or rather another network, can bid on it. 
And that is of note because the Big Ten's in partnership with Fox. So that, that protects their rights holder. They can vote as a group on revenue sharing. So for example, maybe you say only three teams per league can make a 12-team playoff. But regardless of how many go, the money is split equally. So in other words, we're going to have a 12-team playoff, but everybody's making the same money. You know, kind of like the NFL does, mm. right? So like your favorite NFL team doesn't make the playoffs, but they're still getting money from the NFL because there's so much money in the big pot. So I, I think that that's probably – it's more of a, a legislative voting block, which is really boring. You know, I think people thought they'd be like, you know, uh, their own, they're not going to do their own men's basketball tournament. Or, you know, <laughs> Bill, or I thought we even, were I thought we were on the way to two completely separate leagues. There is the SEC. They would do their own playoff and then yeah. everyone else would do their own thing and everything would be fractured apart into a million pieces. You're saying this is uh, this is basically this is comparable to some negotiations backroom happening in like the House of Representatives. People are oh, going to sleep. This, it's total politics. You know, it's like, OK, imagine that the United the, 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 the SEC is the United States and uh, the other three leagues are the European Union, uh, Japan and I don't know, pick another country, Russia. And which then, one know, is which? At, which conference is which, Bill? Yeah, <laughs> Let's I don't take know. this all the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're at the G5 and, 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 and you just, you know, you don't want one big bully, whoever it is, whether it's us or another, you know, that happens all the time. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're looking out for the sport, too, because while I'm in favor of NIL, I don't like the way the whole Texas-Oklahoma thing went down. And you can argue that they would have ended up in the SEC regardless because of different reasons. But how they did it was not right. And excluding the teams that are currently in the Big 12 moving forward is not right. College athletics, no team. Exclusion is never a good thing. Excluding teams like West Virginia or Oklahoma State or Iowa State from from playing at the highest level is, is just not right. And we love the NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments because anyone can win. We love the little guy, right? If, if we shut out too many teams, it kills the sport. And, and so for the good of the sport, not that I'm a West Virginia or Iowa State or Kansas fan, but for the good of the sport, we need those teams. And for the good of college athletics and for the growth of it, exclusion is never um, the way to go. You want as many good, exciting teams around the country playing, whether they're in Oregon whether they're in South Florida, whether they're in New England, whether they're in Southern California, coast to coast. And, and, and this potentially could create a situation where it's kind of like NASCAR, where you've got like six states that follow it passionately. And then, you know, nobody on the West Coast gives a hoot. Well, that's not healthy. So briefly, you had mentioned that you weren't happy with how the Texas and Oklahoma move to the SEC played out. What exactly rubbed you the wrong way with that? Well, they were in meetings with the, the, the people, the commissioners and the presidents were in meetings with their colleagues while it was going on and kept it stealth. And, you know, you can make any metaphor uh, you would like on this. Um, your wife knew that you were going to get divorced but didn't tell you and was sleeping with someone else for six months <laughs> the whole time. 
You it's know, a hell of a metaphor, it, Bill. Well, I mean, that's what happened. I mean, I mean, the whole time Texas, Texas, and Oklahoma are, are doing this, and, and the SEC, Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big Twelve, is is in negotiations with the college football playoff, and the SEC is about to blow up his league behind his back, and they're at the same table negotiating. So that wasn't the the right way to do it. So we have just spent a good 20 minutes or so in the weeds about NIL, about, uh, you know, whether or not professional athletes are actually rivals with their opposing teammates, whether or not it's basically entertainment. I want to press you on some fun stuff, Bill. So you ready to switch into some goofy stuff? Let's go. All right. You have called many, many games. I have heard you call many games personally. You're very good at it. I want to hear some stories about a time when you were not good at calling a game. Do you have any embarrassing stories about your broadcasting career? Well, you're being really kind. I think there's, there's, there's a lot more mistakes that you must have missed. You must have been preoccupied. I, I was in college at the time, so to be fair, I might have been inebriated. You know, I could never say Quinnipiac correctly, and I still don't know if that's how you say it. <laughs> how do you say it? Quinnipiac? Quinnipiac? Quinnipiac. I think it's I think it's Quinnipiac, yeah. I think it is Quinnipiac, and I should know it. So the Hokies are getting ready to play Quinnipiac, and uh, they had changed their nickname. From I, I got the I got Quinnipiac right. And I called them the Wildcats, except that's not their name. I mean, to be fair, in college athletics, if you call a team the Wildcats, you've got like a one in ten chance of being right. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the most of the craziness is uh, outtakes for the television show. Um, outtakes on commercials with Coach Beamer that, you know, you heard the final product on the air, but it was an hour and a half of recording a Kroger commercial where one of us botched the lines. There, there's, there's a lot of stories on the road getting lost, driving, trying to find arenas or stadiums. Um, we were playing at Boston College once early during our tenure in the Big East, and we, uh, we got lost. We couldn't find the stadium. And I'm making a turn and turn and turn. Finally, we end up in Cambridge, and we find the Harvard Law School. And so Burnup, Mike Burnup, my, my color analyst, says, pull over, pull over. So I stop the car. He runs right into the lobby of the Harvard Law School, and he's in there for about a minute, and he comes racing back out, and he gets back in the car. And I said, all right, where do we go? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, what did you do? You just ran in there. He says, yeah, I just always wanted to tell people I got into Harvard Law. And that was the only reason he ran into the building. Uh, oh man, um, a lot of crazy, a lot of crazy things like that. I could tell, I could tell more travel stories that went that went crazy than uh, on air, because most of the tomfoolery happened in rental cars or on airplanes. All right, mm -hmm. so let's hear some of those. What are what are some of the juicy stories you got from from traveling? Ooh. And everything is fair game on this podcast at this point. So feel free okay, to let it so, fly if you must. So we were flying to, uh, we were flying down to Fort Lauderdale for a Tech Miami game. And we were connecting in Atlanta on Delta. Because you can't, you can't fly anywhere out of Roanoke without connecting in Roanoke, uh, either Atlanta or Charlotte. Did you know that? Oh, yes. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the Roanoke-Blacksburg Regional Airport or International Airport, however they yeah. want to brand it these days, is still not quite what they say it is. When, when, 
<laughs> the joke is when you, in Roanoke, when you die, you connect in Atlanta, regardless of where you're going. Right? There, there is no nonstop. But anyway, we're at the Atlanta airport and we're connecting and I'm on the window seat and burn ups on the aisle seat. And we had in the middle, uh, the middle seat was vacant, but there was one of those uh, seat belt extendo belts for people that are really big. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like oh, yeah. massively obese passenger. It extends the seat belt like another 14 inches. Okay. That's what Mike found in the seat next to us. Mike thought, Mike Burnup thought it was the flight attendant's safety demo seat belt. That's what he thought it was. Okay. He also thought the full figured woman walking down the aisle was a flight attendant when he picked it up and said to her, Excuse me, you're probably going to need this. Oh, my God. Well, she was not a flight attendant. And it was not the safety demo belt. It was the obese belt, extended <laughs> seatbelt thing. The woman was mortified. Everybody on the plane saw what happened and was so embarrassed. So those are the kind of things that happen seemingly each week. So it feels like you just have a lot of embarrassing Mike Burnup stories in that uh, in that brain of yours is what it sounds like to me, Bill. We uh, we played in Florida State once and we got off the team bus and I stepped in a puddle and the puddle must have had some oil in it from it was in a parking lot. My dress shoes. And the next morning we get up and like the sole of my shoe it was a noon kickoff. It's like so like 10 in the morning we go into the stadium. The sole of my shoe is not connected to my shoe. So Burnup says, I can fix it. So he gets some duct tape and he takes tapes my shoe up. And I said, I can't believe you did that. He said, it's radio. I said, fine, you can't tell anybody. So we get into the we get into the booth. And it's Florida State and, and um, Burt Reynolds is dating Dolly Parton. And they walk into our booth and they're looking at us and they're like, who are the two, who, who, you guys aren't the Florida State radio announcers, not we're the Virginia Tech announcers. And, and Burt Reynolds goes, yeah, I can tell by your shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Burt Reynolds probably thought of Virginia Tech and Blacksburg all culminating in this duct tape shoe. That is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so you were obviously at Virginia Tech during the peak Beamer Bud Foster years. Bud yeah. Foster, known for being um, a pretty energetic dude. What is the wildest you ever saw Bud Foster get either during a game or like during halftime or after a game or just any, anything in general? Well, I've seen him break a couple of grease boards. What is a grease board? Forgive me. Is that like an age thing? Oh, that's, for me? That, that's the white board that they have on the sidelines and they use an, uh, uh, a, a marker that you can use an eraser. Oh, okay. To drop yeah. It's a white, it's like a white, a white, chalkboard but it uses a, a grease marker instead of a chalk okay so i've seen bud uh break several of those um well the, the most upset i ever heard bud was we lost the game at wake forest it ended up well it was zero zero in overtime oh the the notorious uh one where frank Beamer became a meme at the end of it with his arms raised zero zero okay. heading into overtime but the game went to overtime 0-0 in overtime when the ball starts at the 25. Both times, Wake Forest would, like, lose three yards, lose three yards, 
lose two yards, and then kick a field goal. So Burnop's interviewing Bud after the game. And, and, and by the way, it, was, it, it wasn't a game. It was a tragic comedy, that game, that was ridiculous. But Mike had to interview Bud after the game, and he's like, what could you have done differently? And he's like, he, he, he did not cuss on the air, but basically he said, what the F were we supposed to do? <laughs> Their two scoring drives were three plays minus nine yards, three plays minus 12 yards, and we lost. Uh, it reminded me, uh, and we, I mentioned this on the air at the time, there was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates named Harvey Haddix. Do you know who that is, Ty? I do not. Okay. Harvey Haddix threw one of the greatest games in the history of baseball. He threw 12 perfect innings against the Braves, 36 up and 36 down, but the Pirates didn't score. And then in the 13th inning, there was an error and a hit, and he lost. He doesn't get credit for a shutout or a no-hitter or a perfect game. He didn't even get the win. It's the only time in Major League history – the starting pitcher retired the first 36 batters. And that's what that night was like for Bud. He pitched a perfect game and lost. But he doesn't get credit for the perfect game because Tech didn't score. That is an incredible story. And I recall that game vividly for all the wrong reasons. Like you said, the worst football game I think that's ever been played. Is Is that fair to say? You know, in the I modern era, at least, when we were doing the forward pass. Yeah, I, you know, I'll say this, though. Tech's defense played freaking great, too. I mean, I think the worst game I ever saw was the uh, Russell Athletic Bowl between Virginia Tech and Rutgers. Oh, my God, another stinker. Because that, <laughs> that game, I don't think either team wanted to be there. Like, at least that Wake Forest game, like, both teams played hard. Like, they wanted to win – Guys were really going at it. There were some really incredible defensive plays. The Virginia Tech-Rutgers game in Orlando played in a 45-degree rainstorm. I I think the teams combined for 22 punts, 48 penalties. Virginia Virginia Tech turned the ball over five times, had 20 penalties, and a grand total of three yards rushing for the game, and one – 13-10, 13-10, right? And won the game, So, to which we say, God bless Rutgers, because <laughs> how can you possibly win that game? So I would – I, I the, the, the Wake Forest game was more memorable because of the meme of Coach Beamer, but but I would go with that Russell Athletic Bowl game is probably the worst worst game I've seen because of the penalties and the the total ineptitude and, and the, the general disinterest between the, between the players. I think they wanted to go home for Christmas. You obviously have called many a football game, many a basketball game. Have you ever called a soccer game? When I was in college, I called soccer uh, for the Empire State Games in New York, which were held every year. They're one of the biggest amateur athletic events in America. So I've done soccer and we teach that now, you know, in my in our SMA program at Virginia Tech, we have a we, we have a play by play class. And one of the things we do is we teach soccer and we let them call a soccer game. And what's amazing, Ty, is that, you know who David Attenborough is? He does the show. Oh, yeah, of course. He's a hero. All the kids sound, they try to sound like David Attenborough calling sports. 
and you, you do not you do not have a British accent. Stop it. Talk in a normal voice. Call the game. Do not talk about. It was a beautiful cross that reminded me of a living wildebeest. You know, you don't have to go down that road uh, to, to to call soccer. That is so funny. I I did that. I did. Uh some brief play-by-play stuff when I was in college and I ended up doing a soccer match in the VHSL playoffs and never before in my life have I spoken like that, but it was exactly that. It is like I tried to turn on my best like Ian Dark impersonation. Oh, it's a right cracking goal from Salem there. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. brilliant. It's gorgeous, like, a bloody fabulous play. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> There's something about soccer, Bill, that you just watch it, and all of a sudden, every mannerism that you pull from those broadcasts, it it, it it's just like it's true. you just you just can't it's help true. it. What is that? What is happening there? You're you are a a lecturer, a teacher of the youth. What is happening there? You know, we uh, repeat what we are exposed to, and. You know, I talk a lot to the to the students about. You know, we know we know what songs we like. You know, maybe you like Shania Twain, maybe you like Garth Brooks, maybe you like Nelly, whomever. You know, depending upon your genre that you love, <clears throat> and you've listened to a lot of it, and so that when you hear a song or or, or have to sing, if you ever do karaoke, you kind of imitate the person you sang. I, mean, I think the same is true for baseball people. Like everybody. Everybody who's a young broadcaster from Southern California sounds like Vin Scully. <laughs> they have that sing-song melodramatic delivery tie, and you know the Dodgers are sponsored by Farmer John, right? And and don't and, and people in New York kind of have that Marv Albert thing, and because that's what they grew up listening to, and so you kind of repeat. And we all do, right? Musicians do it, broadcasters do it, and journalists do it also. It's not necessarily plagiarism it's just that's what you were exposed to as a kid during your developmental stages and so that when you get on the air you try to sound like your your mentor or your hero or what you think someone who you admire does sound like so because you are a professional broadcaster i would like to do a little crossover of sorts so your favorite call of mine ever was Mm. definitely the nebraska game Tyrod did it, Mikey. Tyrod did it. Um, For the non-Virginia Tech people in there, I will include that clip before we do this. But I would love if you could recreate that call for me, Bill, as if you were an English soccer broadcaster. Holy cow, that's a heck of a challenge there. Hmm. Well, I I would have to change the noun from... It's not the field, it's the pitch, right? Yep. And the 20-yard line would be what? Uh, the, the 18? Seven, the seven, yeah, the seven-meter line or something <laughs> like that. Uh, wow. Let's see. Tyrod rolling to his left. What's a, what's a, what's a British word for – is it galloping? Gallantly yeah, galloping. Gallant, gallantly galloping to his left, right? Um Wow. What's a British synonym for throws or fires? Hurls. Hurls. Hurls the sphere. <laughs> the egg. The hand egg. <laughs> hurls, the, hurls the pigskin-shaped egg. The egg-shaped pigskin. 
the lad in the back of the end zone stretches out and makes the the diving catch right on the edge of the pitch. Something like that. Something that like that. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. That's about as good as I can do on that. <laughs> that was um, who was that? That was Danny Cole that caught that. Is that right? That was that was Dyrell Roberts. Oh yeah, Cole Cole was the initial setup down the sideline. Dyrell caught it. I was gonna I was gonna try. Twenty seconds it. remaining in what has been a magnificent battle, right between between a red clad corn husker group, right? I mean the Brits. There's a dude that does that on, on you see those those videos on Facebook, right? Yeah. Trying to describe a, a baseball game. I mean, if, if college football was British soccer, Nebraska absolutely would be the Huskers. That would, would be just be what they're known as, kind of like the Spurs or the Wolves. They would be the and Huskers. Then, and then when the ball was caught, I would, you would have to say like, and the man in the silly white hat is surrendering. Right? <laughs> Arms elongated. The yes. game is over. Brilliant finish that. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, thank you for indulging me on that. That was, that was a treat for me. Bill, I appreciate the hell out of you spending so much time with us here on this very silly podcast that we do. I appreciate um, you. And for those that don't know, Ty used to help produce a radio show that I was on. This would have been, what, 20 years ago? When was that? Help. Oh, not 20 years ago. I graduated in 2013. Give me uh, eight, nine eight years. years ago. I'm sorry. Well, they all run together. You know that. <laughs> sorry. Eight years ago. I'm sorry. Mm. If the people want to find you, if they're interested in learning uh, a little bit more about you, if they want to see some of your prior work, or if they want to catch you on a game, how can they do that? Well, fans want to follow along. I've got a bunch of ACC and SEC games early college football this year, including the Virginia Tech-North Carolina game on Westwood One Radio on Friday night, September 3rd. Mac Brown's team's ranked in the top 10. They're picked to win the Coastal. The Hokies need a big win. It's going to be a crazy, wild atmosphere at Lane Stadium as fans return. So I hope you all can tune in Friday night. Bill Roth, ladies and gentlemen. Bill, thank you so much and, uh, and hope to chat with you again. Thank you for having me, guys.